blamers don't problem solve. They don't learn that skill. They also don't learn how to own stuff when actually they do have some control over the situation. So we want to move from it's all about that other person to recognizing, yep, that person shows up late. That's on them. How am I going to learn to manage this so that I don't keep getting myself in this situation? Really helpful skill. Blamers are hard to deal with. Welcome to Flusterclucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about how to manage those tricky emotions that show up in all families. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin, and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Flusterclucks, and I'm here to help you find your way. And I'll even tell you what to do and what to say. Hi, Robin. Hi, Lynn. So you know how in previous episodes, for those people who have been listening all along, sometimes I talk about disappointment syndrome. Yes. And I've talked about that, that it's not a real thing, by the way. So if you're a new listener and you're like disappointment syndrome, it's not a real thing. But you're saying though that people in your field call it that? Well, a person. There are a lot of wacky sort of diagnostic things that people grab onto. This was just a therapist in my town was going into school meetings and telling the school that her clients were diagnosed with disappointment syndrome, which was not a thing. Okay. Yeah. So I found out about it. My friend's a school counselor. And so she was like, hey, is this a thing? So there is no such thing called disappointment syndrome, but there is such thing called... Disappointment. That's right. Disappointment, feeling disappointment. So I wanted to talk about that today because it can be a tricky thing for parents to handle. It definitely can get kind of big and huge and messy, particularly if you have somebody who is rigid, which we talk about rigidity a lot as a characteristic of people who are anxious. So I thought maybe we'd walk through how to manage disappointment when your kid's experiencing it. This also sounds like really great front loading advice for when your children are small. And then if disappointment is still pretty tricky in the teen years, there's different advice. Correct. Yep. So we're going to break it down in that way. First thing, it is okay to be disappointed. And it is not your job as a parent to make sure that your child is never disappointed. When something happens, which is out of your control, or just as a parent, you have to make a choice that's going to disappoint your children, it is okay for you to do that. Because one of the things that happens is parents feel really guilty. They feel like their child's going to be upset. They feel like they're doing a terrible thing. And they work very hard to make sure that their child isn't disappointed. And if plans have to change or something goes amiss, they work really hard to bribe or to cushion the disappointment by giving them more things. And that's what we want to stay away from because the skill, the ability to tolerate when things don't go your way is a really, really important skill. And that's what disappointment is. You're looking forward to something and then it doesn't happen. How do we tolerate it? Or something happens that disappoints you. Oh, that's true. It's not always just something going away. Something didn't meet your expectations. Right. It was a disappointing trip. You got a new toy for Christmas. You got one of those remote control cars that looked really great in the advertisement and it's a clunker and you feel really disappointed. You have high expectations for something and it doesn't work. That happens in travel a lot. Not when you plan the trip, of course. I was about to say, I was like, I did actually go to a hotel recently that 
really did disappoint me. But it wasn't the hotel's fault. It's not a big deal, but I wouldn't send clients there because the beach has changed since the time the resort was built. The beach is unswimmable now and not very attractive. Oh, so therefore, how disappointed would a family be to invest their money and time into a beach vacation and get there and see red flags, can't swim on the beach, and it's like all brown because it's always kicking up a bunch of sand and dirt. So it just, you know, it wasn't a very attractive beach either. Right. That would be a white lotus disappointment. (laughs) (laughs) And I love that show. Yeah, that was a good show. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about what you do when your child experiences disappointment. Okay. First thing is that, as always, you want to throw some empathy at it. Because if you are uncomfortable with your child feeling disappointed, which is one of the things we talk about, there's this thing called parental experiential avoidance, fancy research term. That's a real thing. It's a fancy research term that means that you have great difficulty tolerating your child's distress and your own distress. If your child is disappointed, that's generally a negative emotion. You feel distress about it. You don't want to step in and try and get rid of that emotion. You don't. You want to empathize. You want to say, you know what? I get that this is disappointing. I get that you had a picture in your head about how this was going to go. You were looking forward to something, which is a wonderful sensation to have, looking forward to something, and then it went away. So I get it. If I were in your shoes, I'd feel disappointed too, right? That's empathy. So we want to do that a lot with kids. We want to start off almost every conversation that we're having with kids about difficult emotions. We want to throw that empathy in there as the introduction, as the opening salvo. You want to say, I get it. You also have the one, of course you feel this way. Of course. Of course you feel this way. Of course. Yep, absolutely. That's empathy. And that's validation. What you don't want to do is you don't want to minimize it. You don't want to try and talk them out of their disappointment. You don't want to say, well, you know, you sound a little spoiled right now because going on that adventure was something very special and not all kids get to go on an adventure. And, or I remember a long time ago, family friends, the family had a vacation planned to Disney, I think, and a relative died. And so they had to cancel the vacation and the kids were so disappointed they couldn't go to Disney. And the mom was so offended that the kids were disappointed. But here was the thing. The kids were like six years old. They'd been planning and looking forward to this Disney vacation. They didn't really even know the relative. The relative was like an old uncle. You know, I mean, (laughs) I'm not dismissing that the old uncle died, but the mom was so offended that her children were disappointed. And so what you want to do in that case is you don't want to minimize their disappointment You want to normalize it. And this is where the word and is a lot more helpful than the word but, right? I know you're disappointed, but there was a tornado. Or I know you're disappointed, but Uncle Frank died and we shouldn't put our desire to go to Disney above Uncle Frank's death, right? What you want to use is and. You say, you know what? I know you're disappointed. And we also have to deal with the fact that this unexpected and sad thing happened. Or I know you're disappointed, 
And the people who are experiencing the tornado also are having a really rough time. Let's stop and talk about the role of content here, because you said something I think is very interesting. If a parent wants to respond to their child's disappointment by going after like, that's a very spoiled response that you don't get to do something. That parent's responding to the content. And here's why that's really not good. Because the child's emotional pattern of disappointment could show up in the next circumstance that has nothing to do with being a spoiled child, in air quotes. And that child still didn't learn anything about managing or tolerating disappointment. So it's important to understand that distinction. Don't go after the specifics. Focus just on the emotional reaction. Right. And when you're going after the specifics, then you're deciding for your child what's disappointing and not disappointing. The thing is, think about it as an adult. If somebody decided for you what you should feel disappointed in and what you shouldn't feel disappointed in, right? You wouldn't like that. Like, say that you and I, hypothetically, you and I were planning on going to this restaurant that we really were interested in going to. And I had had a incredibly busy week and I was exhausted. I knew you were looking forward to it. And I knew that once I got there, I would enjoy myself too. But then something happens. We get a call that, you know, the restaurant had a flood or whatever, and the reservations are canceled. And you are so disappointed because you were really looking forward to going. And I actually am a little relieved because canceling an event that night actually felt like a little bit of a gift to me. So we could have the same experience. You could be super disappointed and I could be a little bit disappointed, but actually kind of relieved. So we don't want to decide for kids what's disappointing and what's not disappointing. We want to teach them how to manage those feelings when they come up. Yeah. Let's take a break. And when we come back, let's really talk about the different responses younger children have to disappointment and how to respond well to each of them. I really have to pay attention to hydrating properly. I work out a lot. I talk all the time, as you know. I am pretty active and I don't drink enough water. So I'm constantly thinking about how it is that I am going to hydrate in the best way possible. And I'll tell you, if my water has a little bit of flavor, it's so much easier for me. And if I can get those electrolytes, if I can get more bang for my buck, it's just so much better. I have been using liquid IV. I put it into a huge glass. I put it into the refrigerator. It's cold. It's very tasty. I've been putting it in my water bottle when I go to the gym. The packaging is so convenient. I actually look forward to drinking it, which is not something that comes naturally to me. I love the lemon-lime flavor. They've got a sugar-free option that is really great. So I think that if you're somebody like me that has a difficult time getting in the amount of hydration that you need for your body, Liquid IV is a great option. One stick, 16 ounces of water, it hydrates better than water alone. It's got three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, and it doesn't have all that sugar. It doesn't have artificial sweeteners. Eight vitamins and nutrients just for your everyday wellness It's non-GMO and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. However you hydrate, grab your liquid IV, hydration multiplier, sugar-free in bulk nationwide at Costco, or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com 
and use code FLUSTER at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code FLUSTER at liquidiv.com. Picture the thing that you've always wanted to learn, and now picture that you're learning it from the person who's literally the best in the world at it. It's fantastic, and that's what you get with Masterclass. I recently listened to Matthew Walker's talk on sleep and the importance of consistency with sleep. I loved Bobby Brown's Masterclass, gave me all these tips about putting on makeup because, you know, I'm in front of a camera sometimes and I want to look good, and Bobby was such a big help. So this year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Like I actually put on makeup the way that Bobby Brown taught me how to put on makeup. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Don't just talk about improving. Masterclass actually helps you do it. Masterclass offers over 180 instructors. So whether you want to master negotiation with Chris Voss, Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe you want to learn how to just make your makeup look better with Bobby Brown or sleep better with Matthew Walker, with Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. I loved it. There are over 200 classes to pick from. New classes are added every single month, like a class that talks about your gut health. So many interesting things to learn. So every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's absolutely no risk. Right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash Fluster. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash fluster. Masterclass.com slash fluster. Okay, let's get back to this conversation. Okay, so when we're talking about little kids, If you have a toddler, gosh, up probably until the age of six or seven, if a child experiences disappointment, something gets taken away, something doesn't meet expectations, it is very likely that you're going to have a tantrum. Tantrums in toddlers are a normal part of the way that they are learning emotional management. And disappointment is a really common thing that's going to set off a tantrum in a young child. So. What you want to do if you've got a tantruming child because of disappointment is one, you want to throw empathy at it because you want to, aside from their big reaction, which is what little kids do, you also want to let them know that they can make a connection between the fact that something didn't happen or didn't happen the way they wanted to and that they're having big feelings. So you just want to put that out there. You don't want to talk to a kid a lot when they're having a tantrum, just in general. For little kids, you want to be there. You want to say, I can see that you're very upset. And you might say, this is not going to change. So you want to might give them that information. I'm sorry that we can't go to the park or I'm sorry that this didn't work out, but we're not going to change it. It can't change. One of the common parenting mantras or one of the common parenting sayings I heard when my kids were young that I didn't actually hear growing up, but I heard another mom friend say it to their child 
was the you get what you get and you don't get upset. Oh, my gosh. I don't like that. Yeah. So I think we should talk about that because I think this is somewhat interesting with what I know now and if I could go back in time. And actually, the child who had that said, I would label as a child who had a hard time with disappointment because they were whiners. They had a whining response of this didn't happen exactly as I wanted. I'm going to whine now. Yes. And so there's the tantrumer. That's the little kid. And that's the big explosion. And for tantrumers, we just want to say, I get that you're feeling upset and you're going to be there for them. And you're not going to with a tantrumer. What we don't want to do is we don't want to give in to the tantrum. People say to me, how long do I let the tantrum go on before I give them what they want? And I say, well, for however long you'd like your child to tantrum next time. So you want to empathize with them. You want to say, I see that you're upset. And you also want to be there to help them. With little kids, sometimes we need to help them emotionally regulate. So that might even mean giving them a hug. It might even be just being present. You don't push away a tantruming little child, you don't reject them, you don't abandon them, you don't shame them, right? Because they're not mature enough. This is how they are figuring out how to move through the world. Once you get older, so now you've got a child who is five, six, seven, all the way up to 11, 12, whatever. If you have a whiner, a sulker, or a blamer, then you want to address the behavior. And again, we don't want to get into the content. We want to address the pattern of behavior. If you have a tantrumer who is 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, you really have to look at that and probably go back and see how did this child not learn emotional management when they were younger? Do they have some difficulty with that? And do you need some help figuring out how to manage this tantruming a big kid? Because tantruming 11-year-olds become tantruming 17-year-olds become tantruming 32-year-olds. Wouldn't 10 be on the older side? I'm thinking like eight, right? Yeah. By eight, emotional regulation skills should start being there. Correct. They should start being there when a child is probably six or seven, like when they're entering school, not daycare, but when they're in first grade, we want to see their ability to manage some emotions. We want to have them be able to talk about them. We always want to help little kids increase their emotional literacy. But if you've got a tantrumer who's getting big, you have to address that. Both of our boys, one of your boys and one of my boys definitely had like, there was an age where a personality kind of shifted. And I remember, I'm trying to think of what that age was, but considering I, by my second, I felt like I really had some good parenting skills in this. And my son was just giving me a lot. And I thought like, whose personality is this? You know, like, who is he coming from? Because like, he's, you know, he was nothing like my firstborn and he had such big reactions, right? Yeah. And then he just like turned an age and they all went away. Yeah. My younger son, we used to call him the London Air Raid Siren because when he would be disappointed, he would go like that. (laughs) He could have a tantrum. And, you know, the language that I used is I would say, I know you're upset. I know you're very sad right now or you're very mad right now. The answer is going to be no. And I will stand here and I will be here when you need me when you're done with your tantrum. And he learned and then he reached that developmental age where he could accept that and he could handle emotions. It is a developmental thing that happens for sure. 
Let's talk about whining because that's really intolerable as a parent to have to work with. Yeah. So whining is a learned behavior. And one of the reasons why kids whine is because it is really effective. It is really effective because you can't deal with it. And they learn that if I whine, if I keep whining and keep whining, two things are going to happen. One is that my parent is going to give in because it's intolerable or they're going to blow, right? They're going to reach the point and kids learn. Okay, so I just have to figure out where that point is. And oftentimes when a parent blows, then the kid will back off because they know they've reached the limit. So it's sort of when we talked about yelling, when we did our episode on yelling, and I talked about moms or dads yelling at their children to get out of bed or to get ready for school. And parents will say, well, they don't listen to me until I start yelling. And I say, well, because they've learned that that's when you mean business, right? Everything else they can ignore. And when you yell, then they have to pay attention. It's the same with whiners. They're going to push and push and push. Remember, intermittent reinforcement. So giving in sometimes is the way to cement a behavior. That's why slot machines in Las Vegas are so addictive. Intermittent reinforcement. So the whiner learns that if I can just push and push and push and push, sometimes, and maybe it's 20%, maybe it's 85%, I'm going to get what I want. So it's worth a try. It's a learned behavior. If you have a whiner, it is very important for you to just directly address this pattern and to say very clearly, when you are disappointed, when something happens and it doesn't go the way you want it to go, I totally understand that feeling. And then your whining afterwards means that you are working very hard for me to change the situation. And you are doing that by making me frustrated or annoyed. So that's not how we're going to respond to situations. Something happens to you that you feel really disappointed with. You feel really upset with. I totally get it. That does not then give you permission to see how irritated you can make me in order to get what you want. So when you are experiencing disappointment, this is what I'm going to say to you. I'm going to say, I totally understand why you're disappointed or upset. I get it. It's really hard when things don't go your way. And is there anything that we can do right now to help you unhook from this? Because I can't change the situation. So you can offer a child an introduction or offer them an opportunity for some problem solving. So you might say to them, what if we went and did this? Or is there something you can do right now? Or in order for you to handle this feeling of disappointment, what would give you a little bit of joy right now? Now, that doesn't mean that you offer them another big reward, but you do acknowledge for them, this is disappointing. What else can we do? Yeah, actually, I want to interrupt like the, the classic scenario. Yeah. It's lunchtime. Mm-hmm. The child says, I want a bowl of ice cream for lunch. And then you put down like a peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. And then the whining begins. I'm disappointed. Mm -hmm. I really wanted that ice cream. Mm -hmm. And instead, you've given me a peanut butter sandwich and I want to skip to dessert. What do you say? So you say, so I get that you're disappointed right now, but also, you know, in this family, we don't have ice cream for lunch, right? I'm not going to give you ice cream for lunch. So here's your peanut butter sandwich. And maybe next time when it's time for lunch, Maybe if you don't want a peanut butter sandwich, you can let me know what you want. But right now, 
your whining or your sulking or your explosiveness, that's not going to change the rule in the family that we have healthy food before we have treat food. And so you put that out there. Now, if they continue to whine, if they continue to tantrum, if they continue to say, I'm not eating this peanut butter sandwich, you're the worst mother ever, blah, 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 blah. Then we've moved from disappointment. Now we've moved to a child being demanding and wanting what they want when they want it. And you've got to hold the line in a reasonable way. It doesn't mean that you have to be completely rigid. You say you say, we're going to have lunch and your child says, I want a bowl of ice cream. You say, well, we're not going to have ice cream for lunch because that's a dessert. You need some healthy food. Let's think about in the healthy food category, what would you like to eat? So you can give them some choices, right? We want to give kids some choices. It's not like, you know, you get what you get and you don't get upset. We don't want to go to that extreme. You don't want to get sucked into the, well, we have to eat healthy food and ice cream isn't a dessert. But if your kid is going on and on about it, you have to say, now we've reached the point where you are whining and you are sulking or you are whatever. And I need you to be able to handle your disappointment. But that behavior is not going to change my decision. Or the outcome, if it's up to the parent's control. Correct. So if there is some flexibility and you can give it a little bit of choice, that's a good thing to do. You know, and if something happened, you know, say you were about to go to the playground and all of a sudden there was a big thunderstorm and you couldn't go and they're so disappointed and they're like, we wanted to go to the playground. No fair. You can say, I know it is disappointing and I'm not in charge of the weather. I wish I were. My life would be a lot easier if I could be in charge of the weather, but I'm not. So let's think of alternatives. So you can give them choices like that. And you don't want to say, you know, you're ungrateful, all that stuff I said before. You don't want to shame them for having the disappointment. But what really becomes frustrating for parents and the way that it gets hard to teach kids this skill is that their behavior wears you down. Another pattern that we see when kids are disappointed is that they sulk, right, which is sort of similar to whining. They put on a sad face. They go up in their room. They might go up in their room and like just throw things around enough so that you can hear that that's going on. And that's sort of an invitation for you to come upstairs. Lots of times when kids do that, they're like making enough noise that you can come upstairs. And again, have the conversation. You could even say to a kid, when people get disappointed, there's a variety of things that they do. Some people get really mad and they have a fit. Other people get really whiny. Some people go and sulk. And you can say, let's think about what we want our reaction to be when we're disappointed. Because you're going to feel sad. And what are we going to do? And how are we going to move through that feeling in a way that works for the family? You can have that conversation. If they're sulking and you go upstairs and then you get into that need, again, your child is distressed. You have to fix it. 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 That's when you're going to be teaching them how to get you to take over their feelings, how to get you to step in and do what they want you to do to make them feel better. You are a support, but you cannot step in to make their feelings go away. That's not your job and it's not healthy for them. So interesting how the early patterns we have with our kids can have such trajectories if they're not disrupted in any way. And those kinds of early, early dynamics, those early conversations about emotions really make things easier or harder in the long run. Yeah. Well, and that's like with any relationship, right? So if you got a job and you had a boss that consistently at the last minute 
gave you things that you needed to do and was very demanding about it. And the early pattern was because you were new at the job that you would jump to your boss's demands, you would get it done. And, you know, and and your boss said like, wow, you're fantastic, Robin, I can give you something at the last minute. And I can always depend on you putting everything aside and getting it done. You've just cemented a pattern with that person. And then a year later, when you're burnt out and you're starting to get annoyed and you see that nobody else is doing that, when you go to your boss and say, hey, look, this isn't working for me. That's a lot harder than at the beginning recognizing, hmm, like what my supervisor said to me, my first supervisor when I was in graduate school said to me, their emergency is not your emergency, which was an enormously helpful thing for him to say, because there was no way that I could be a social worker and be on call 24 hours a day for anybody that wanted to reach out to me. And I wasn't an emergency service. That wasn't my job. What you lay down early absolutely helps moving forward. And that said, what you don't know how to do yourself becomes really hard to teach your kids. So you have to pay attention to how you manage disappointment and what you're modeling. Yes, that's key. If something doesn't go your way, say, you know, you're in a store or you're in a restaurant and you ordered the crab cakes and then the waitress comes back and says, I'm so sorry. The chef just let us know that we're out of crab cakes and you throw a fit. Your kids are sitting there watching you handle your disappointment. Or if the waitress comes back and says, I'm so sorry, we're out of crab cakes. And you say, well, forget it. I'm just not going to eat anything now. And you cross your arms over your chest and you're like, no, fine. You can all order what I was really looking to crab cake, forward to crab cakes, and they don't have any. So I'm not going to. You're showing them how to do all of these different responses. And there are variations of that that adults do. Yeah. There's always, you know, you see videos of somebody at the counter of a store, at the counter of an airport, just absolutely throwing a fit because their flight got canceled or they can't get to where they want to get. And we know that you're feeling disappointed or you know that you're feeling frustrated. What are you modeling for your kids and your ability to tolerate that? Doesn't mean you're not going to have those feelings, but how do you handle it? When I'm, since you and I both travel a lot, we talk about this too, because it is such a litmus test moment when the captain announces, you know, there's been a disruption, there's been a rerouting, there's been a delay. And I'm always sitting next to people who have this big, like, sigh or big, like, Grr or whatever. I just always look at them and I'm like, rookies. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) I do think traveling so much really cemented that lesson for me. And as a young adult, like, man, just focus on what you can control. And uh, so much of traveling is out of your control. Exactly. Um, I think we should take a quick break. And then I want to talk about one pattern in particular that shows up that you can really get after early. And if you don't, it's going to be a problem. If you are a mom who's trying to keep your calendar organized, keep your family's appointments where they need to be, then I'll tell you, the Skylight Calendar is a product that you ought to check out. You know how it is. Running a household can be pure chaos and it can be so stressful. This is why you need to check out the Skylight Calendar. It is going to make your life easier, mom. It really is. The Skylight Calendar is a smart touchscreen calendar and organizer for all your chores, groceries, to-do lists and a great way to manage appointments to make sure they never overlap and they're never missed. It helps keep busy households on track so families can get time back 
for moments that really matter. The Skylight Calendar is so easy to use and to set up. It's not going to frustrate you. You're going to be able to get it going within minutes. It syncs events from other family calendars, including Google, Apple, Outlook. You can add events directly using the touchscreen or with the free Skylight mobile app. Updates to linked calendars will automatically appear on the Skylight calendar at home. So no more worrying that you guys are going to forget something. No more cluttered paper calendars. It shows all family events together in one spot. The events are color-coded, so you can easily see what everyone has going on each week. When the calendar's not in use, you can turn it into a digital picture frame. It's 100% satisfaction guaranteed. If you don't love the Skylight calendar, you'll receive a full refund. They offer a 120-day money-back guarantee and free returns. You can't beat it. I think the feature that I love most is the collaborative way we can all add to the grocery list. And then when I'm ready to place an online order, whether I'm at home or my office, I have that list and there's no more items that we forget. So as a special time-limited offer for our listeners, get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight calendar when you go to skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-C-A-L dot com slash flusterclucks. Mother's Day is coming right up. So order today to get 15% off your purchase at skylightcal.com slash flusterclucks. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance, so literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. Okay, we're back. Okay, Lynn, so what is this pattern that we have to focus on and pay attention to early? 
the blamer. So when you feel disappointed or when you, when something doesn't go your way, when you get disappointed, pay attention to the blaming. This is something that is absolutely modeled. And it makes sense, of course, our initial instinct oftentimes is to find somebody to blame. But what you want your kids to recognize is that oftentimes when disappointment happens, people didn't do it to you on purpose. If there is a a flight canceled, if they run out of crab cakes at the restaurant, if you didn't get the exact toy that you wanted or whatever, moving into that blaming that somebody did this to you means that instead of feeling, instead of owning, instead of learning how to manage those feelings, it turns into anger at other people. It turns into blaming, resentment, that pattern is incredibly corrosive in so many ways. You really want to pay attention to the disappointment moves into blaming pattern, and you want to interrupt that very quickly. Examples. Examples. So you bought a toy and the toy is not what you expected. Now, you can say, oh, I got fleeced, right? I watched this ad on TV or it looked so good in the advertisement and these people really sort of tricked me into getting this toy and it just doesn't work. Now, that's legitimate, right? That's, yep. So then you also say, okay, so we have a choice right now. We can stay really mad at the toy company and let's put a little bit of anger at the toy company. Toy company, you tricked us and you put this advertisement together, but what's the next step we want to do? We want to start to learn how to look at advertisements. We want to start to recognize that, boy, they're always going to make the toy look great in the advertisement. So in order to not feel disappointed again when we buy a toy, and we can't guarantee that because, you know, this is going to happen. What do you think we could do? So instead of having all that energy directed at something else, sometimes there is responsibility outside of ourselves. But then how do we help our kids turn and say, now, how can we problem solve for the future? Right. So here's another example. Say you've got somebody that you want to hang out with. So your kid has a friend. Maybe, you know, you've got a middle school kid and they have a friend and this friend always cancels plans or is always really late. Your child always is left feeling disappointed or rejected, and it's blaming. Oh, that kid is so terrible. They always cancel plans. What's wrong with that family? Can't they stay organized enough? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, legitimate. The kid always cancels plans. But then what we want to say is that it seems that this is a pattern of disappointment. What do you think you can do? Like you just said with traveling, Robin, what's in your control? What do you think that you can do to make sure that you don't keep getting disappointed over and over and over again? And then you try and help problem solve with them so that we can mitigate some of the disappointment. They're still going to feel disappointment when it happens, of course. We're not going to minimize that. But how do we help you move into more problem solving? Blamers don't problem solve. They don't learn that skill. They also don't learn how to own stuff when actually they do have some control over the situation. So we want to move from it's all about that other person to recognizing, yep, that person shows up late. That's on them. How am I going to learn to manage this so that I don't keep getting myself in this situation? Really helpful skill. Blamers are hard to deal with. We've talked about blame in other podcasts, but it's interesting when you talk about it in this way, there's also just kind of bad luck 
too, like something like the weather or something as well. So blaming the weather, is that still blaming, even though it's not a person? Well, I think blame has a real sort of anger and accusatory tone to it. Say there's a thunderstorm and you can't go to the playground or everybody who is coming to your birthday party gets the flu. And so you have to postpone your birthday party. Oh, gosh, this is so disappointing. The blaming part is when you start feeling really victimized by it. Mm -hmm. This weather, you know, how come this always has to happen to me? And every time I want to have a play date, there's a thunderstorm. And I don't, you know, that kind of stuff, that blaming. So when something is really out of your control, sure, you didn't plan to have the thunderstorm. And it is the thunderstorm's fault, so to speak. And the thing about it is that if you're a blamer, you begin to blame in a pretty global way. So you're not very good at discerning what's your responsibility and what's somebody else's responsibility. You just become sort of a reflexive blamer, which we've talked about before. So if you've got a kid that when some disappointment happens... And it's not anybody's fault. It's just bad luck. And you're noticing this reflexive blaming. You really want to step in and talk about that. It is really okay for you to feel disappointed. I totally get it. But we have to tell the difference between when things just happen versus how angry you are right now at something that wasn't in that person's control. Because socially, in relationships, in friendships, As kids grow, when they become reflexive blamers, it's really going to come back to bite them. You don't like to hang out with a reflexive blamer. It's a really, really socially crippling pattern to get into. It sounds like one also of all these examples where a teen might be more susceptible to being a blamer than a whiner. Because whining, you kind of do outgrow, ideally. Mm-hmm. Or it gets wrapped up in more sophisticated language. Yeah. I mean, I've had some blamers in my practice, and it, it goes back to oftentimes there's a rigidity. So, you know, I'm seeing kids that are anxious, and they are so rigid about how they want things to go that they really expect the world to figure it out because it's so intolerable for them, and they lash out. And that's where we really have to work on helping kids manage these difficult feelings, this disappointment. Sometimes it's somebody's fault and sometimes it's not, but we want to pay attention to that reflexive blaming. So what do parents who've listened to this and recognize there might be some homework? So we want to start off by helping kids name, put words to what's happening. So we want to model that for them. I get that you're feeling disappointed now. So it's sort of a two-step process. I get that you're feeling disappointed now, and let's figure out, is there any problem solving we can do? And this reaction to it or this behavior to it, you want it not in the moment, remember, it's hard in the moment. You don't talk about the tornado when you're in the middle of the tornado, but do that post-game analysis and say, this is a pattern we need to break. This is something that I've noticed that you do, or this is something that our family does. And you can own it. I was talking to a mom the other day. She came up and she was talking to me. After a talk about blaming, her daughter gets really upset when she gets blamed and she has a real sense of it's not fair. And the mom said, you know, I have to own that. I do the same thing. And I'm realizing listening to you talk that I have taught her how to be a blamer. And now she's really susceptible to that. So own your own part in it and think about what you can model. Use those words. You just need a a few stock phrases. 
and don't get into the content of what they're disappointed about if you're trying to interrupt the pattern, right? Disappointment is a feeling that we have in all sorts of ways, and it is not you to decide as the parent what your child should feel disappointed about and what they shouldn't feel disappointed about. Your job as a parent is to help them manage that when it shows up. I'm hearing a takeaway of using the phrase, well, I see that you're disappointed. It's both validating. Mm -hmm. It's also helping them identify the emotion. That's right. Right. So that disappointment means something and they're attaching it. And then the parent can emphasize that education by even saying, I'm really disappointed that blankety blank Mm -hmm. shrug shoulder, but this is what we're going to have to do. Yeah. Let's figure this out. And in some situations, there's not going to be anything we can do. In some situations, there is. So let's see if we can work on that. We talk so much and, and people email me a lot and say, you know, what are the skills? What are the skills? I talk about the skills all the time. The ability to tolerate your emotions, to name your emotions, and the ability to problem solve are right on the top of the list. Definitely. Yeah. Black belt skills, life goals. Yeah, life goals. And it's a constant adjustment, always learning, always learning, always learning. If this episode was helpful to you, you can join our Facebook community and we'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Fluster Clucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.